Good morning. Morning. We are going to do something a little bit different today because we have a birthday party we're celebrating. Uh, Jedediah Crockett Skeen Smith, my little boy who is turning six, we're celebrating his birthday after our church service. And because of time constraints, we're going to do a devotional instead. And it's very fitting since we're celebrating his precious life. We are going to read from Psalm 127 this morning. And so if you would turn there, it's a short Psalm uh, written by Solomon, but it's been a blessing to me recently. I know that I have been stressed lately and I know that that is not just me. A lot of people are burdened uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, I feel like we around the holidays, we get this high from being around one another. Like I love the holidays. I love being around my family and the gifts and the fun. And then you go back to regular life. You go back to work and then it's tax season and, you know, and we have enough already happening in our nation and in the world to put stress on us as it is. And so when I read Psalm 127 in my uh, scripture reading a few weeks back, it really uh, was a blessing to me. And so I'm just going to share with you some things that I took away from this, but we'll read it all the way through. And then I'm just going to give you some simple points to remember. But it says, starting in verse number one, Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. The first thing that I want to point out about this passage of scripture is, as verse 1 teaches, labor apart from God, it lacks two things. It lacks purpose and it lacks power. Solomon, who wrote this, also wrote Ecclesiastes. It's one of my favorite books, ironically. I love Ecclesiastes. Uh, It's a very depressing book, but I want to kind of share with you why I love it so much. When I first read Ecclesiastes through, um, I was going through a hard time in high school. I was having a lot of doubts about God's existence, and my faith was on trial at that time. And so reading Ecclesiastes was a poignant reminder that if there is no God, life is purposeless. It's meaningless. And the end of the book was encouraging to me because after all the depressing contents, you get to the very end and the light shines through brightly that, you know, give yourself to God, serve God, you know, love God and let him guide and direct your life because there's, there's no point to life otherwise. And I was like, you know what? That's, that's awesome. To me, life does lack meaning without God. And since I do believe meaning is there, I believe meaning exists. Some people would say there is no absolute meaning. They don't believe in God. But I think that we all know inherently, innately, that there is such a thing as purpose. No one looks around at the world and naturally says, yeah, there's no purpose to all of that. There's no purpose to me. So you can't convince me that there's no purpose. Like logically, I can't suspend thought and and say, okay, yeah, I, I can buy into that, that there is no purpose. I know there's purpose. And so if there's purpose and purpose wouldn't exist without a God, to me, that's strong evidence for a God. 
C.S. Lewis once said, where there's hunger, there must be bread. And so to me, longing after God, longing after that purpose uh, requires a fulfillment, requires there to be something out there that meets my need. And of course, that need is God. So except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. You can put all your time, you can put all your money in this world. But if there's no God, it all is just going to disappear. And some people would think, well, have that mentality, carpe diem, just seize the day, you know, and that makes everything sweeter. Well, I don't think so at all. Maybe some people can live that way. Uh, I can't. I can't come home and see my babies and think, hey, my babies are going to one day cease to exist. And so am I. So I might as well enjoy it while I can. How am I going to really enjoy it when I have that thought? you know, creeping at the back of my mind. Like I can't, I can't enjoy life that way. And so without God, there's no purpose. There's no point, but there's also no power. And this is more practical. So y'all already know that I'm not, you know, trying to convince you to believe in God, you know, giving you arguments for his existence. Cause you already know that it's a good reminder though. Uh, something you could share maybe with someone who doesn't believe, but practically for us as Christians, we need the power that God provides to make our labor worthwhile. Uh, we put in all this time, we put in all this energy and not just the time and energy of actually doing things, but thinking about it when we're not doing it. That's another thing, you know, constantly thinking over and over. Have I done everything right? And I think that what Solomon is saying here is that everything you do is governed by God. And I do believe that God's governance of the world, um, applies in a special sense for those who believe in him. I believe that he as it says in verse number two, he does give his beloved sleep. So he has a special love for those uh, who have accepted the gift of his son. Uh, Jesus Christ received eternal life and are part of his family. And so we need God's power to say, you know what? I can't control everything. In fact, I can't really control anything. Um, ultimately, I can put all my work in building a house and you can make that as a metaphor for whatever. I can put all my work and energy into that, but it's not going to be anything unless God decides to bless it. And if I'm not putting God first in my life, I think sometimes God, I think he's done this with me in my past. He'll humble me so that way I can cast myself at his feet and say, look, all my work is blessed only by you. I can't construct a life that's worth anything on my own. And I've been thinking that, but I was wrong. I've been self-righteous. I've been prideful. I've been uh, arrogant in a sense because I've been trying to construct this life when I haven't really considered that really nothing can be done apart from the blessing of God. God nodding his head and say, yes, I approve. You know, I'm giving you the breath in your body to accomplish that. I'm giving you the strength for another day. And so it's a, it's a calming concept that all the time that we put into something ultimately doesn't matter because it's in the hands of God. Now, this isn't an excuse to say, well, I'm not going to do nothing. I mean, Solomon had a lot of stuff to say about planning and wisdom and, and working hard in life, but we go far beyond that. And that's what verse two goes on to. So the second thing here, he says, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. So this is going beyond natural labor. Okay, we all have to draw a line at some point and say, look, I can't stress about this anymore because it's not healthy for me. And as we'll see, it takes away from something else in our life. But he says he giveth his beloved sleep. And so we are to put in effort. We are to have a good work ethic. Okay, that's something that I think that uh, 
I had a lot of good examples in my life, a good work ethic. And uh, I try to pass that on to my kids as well. Don't be lazy. And I think in this generation, you know, generation Z, Gen Z, uh, I don't see that same work ethic, to be honest with you. I mean, there are many exceptions to that, but um, I think that we can take that idea of work ethic way too far. And it ends up becoming a worship of material pursuit rather than striving after what really matters. But before we get to what really matters, the second point is worrying is actually denying God something. Now, what is it denying God? Now, you could say, well, it denies God faith. You're supposed to give God your faith and give God your trust. And that's true. You're denying God that when you worry. But here's something else that Solomon points out. Worrying is denying God the pleasure of giving us rest. That's what verse two says. He giveth his beloved sleep. He actually wants you to stop worrying and go to sleep and receive the peace that only he can provide. He gives you physical peace. Like you couldn't go to sleep if it wasn't for his blessing. Everything that we receive, every breath that we take is a blessing from him. But the peace that he wants us to have is something that we are rejecting and we are thus denying him the pleasure of giving us that peace. Like I want my kids to be comforted by me. I want to encourage them when they're stressed or they're worried about whatever. And it makes me upset whenever they deprive me of that blessing by refusing to listen and to receive the good things that I'm wanting to give them. And so when we worry, sometimes we feel like, oh, well, we've sinned against God. That is true. Yes. Anxiety, not trusting God in any sense is sinful. However, we don't see the other side to it. God is not imposing burdens on us. Okay. He's not saying, look, you're stressful. You're sinning. Stop it. Okay. What God is saying is, let me help you. Let me give you sleep. Let me give you peace. Okay. Confide in me. Go to me in prayer. Read my promises for you. Okay. Take a second to breathe and to realize that I'm not wanting you to work any harder because I can already see how much you're doing. I want you to trust me that all the stuff that you're investing I am going to bless and honor that. Do we trust God that he is going to bless our work or are we trying to bless ourselves through our work? And so verse number three takes us on to something else. Children. And I think this is so fitting. Whenever you're talking about work and labor and anxiety, the next natural thought is children. Why? Because when you're stressed and anxious, the ones that you're working for are generally the ones you're not giving your time to. Isn't it ironic? I mean, even when you have a break, right? You have a break from your work. You should be able to say, look, I put in the time. I worked today. Okay. I wasn't lazy. I, I wasn't slothful. So now I need to give this time to my kids because they're the ones that I'm doing this for. You know, God has given them to me as a heritage, as an inheritance, as a reward. But often that's the opposite of what we do. I can tell you guys that when I get stressed and anxious and why am I working so hard? Cause I love my babies and I want to give them a, a good life. But when I give all that time and all that effort and I have these thoughts, what have I done enough? Am I, am I not doing enough? Is there something that I've missed? My kids will come up to me and they'll say, Hey dad, you going to play a board game? And the last thing on my mind is playing a board game with my kids. When I have all these other thoughts that are going through my mind. So true labor. And this is a good reminder for all of us, especially for me, because I'm preaching to myself a lot this morning. True labor is rewarded in people. What are, what are we doing everything for? 
if we are doing everything that we do because we want to give material success to those that we love, that in and of itself isn't a bad thing. But is that really what they need more than anything else? You know, they need food. They need clothes. They need shelter. Yes, they need these basic things. And that's what we work hard to provide them for. But is that really what they need? No, they need you. They need you to invest in them, not by giving them the things that they need physically alone, but they need you to show them the love of God because that's what it's all about. God's all about family. And that's what verses four and five, I believe, are ultimately about. Let's read those. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. It's interesting, arrows, that that gives me the idea of power and control. Okay, listen, you know, an ancient warrior feels like they can dominate the battlefield if they have a quiver full of arrows. If they have no arrows in their quiver, they're out of control and there's nothing but fear that they're going to be next. They're going to be the next soldier to fall. But if they have their quiver full of arrows, then they have confidence. They have confidence that they have this under control. Interestingly enough, that sense of confidence that we can have in life isn't to be gotten through striving and labor and all these other things, you know, but children, children are meant to give us that stability, that confidence that we are where we need to be and that we are living a life that is pleasing to God. Arrows as in the hand of a mighty man. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Our footprint in this world, our impact, if you will, is measured in the growth of heaven's household. You know, I've watched all these movies about people that they worked hard. They had lots of money. And y'all probably seen this theme often. They want to pass it all down to their kids, but they think that their kids aren't worth anything, right? Their kids haven't earned it. Like, I hate that I'm having to pass down my legacy to you. It's like the kid is an afterthought. Yes, they're the heir. Yes, they might say, I did all this for you. But do they really love their kids with the love of God? No, that they really love more their name and the reputation that they get from all of their, their labor instead of their children. You know, Katie, I can remember once when we were first married, she said, buddy, as long as we you know, have a shack to live in and we have a roof over our heads. Um, I'll be happy. I'll be content as long as we're together. And while we live in something so much better than a shack and I'm thankful for our three bedroom apartment. Okay. It ain't much. I'm thankful for it. But do I honestly need a mansion here when I have a mansion promised to me in glory? Trust me, it would be nice, okay? So if somebody came and they offered me a mansion here on earth and it was for free, I'd say, sure, you know? And I would be very thankful for it. But is that something that I am going to strive for when striving for that may take away from something so much more important? My relationships. I just want to read a quote. It's by Neil Postman. And it is, children are the living messages we send to a time we will not see. Amen. Yes, absolutely. They're our legacy. That's our footprint. So everything that you build, build us the biggest skyscraper in the world. Okay. Nice accomplishment. Okay. But passing on your children, that's the way that you influence society once you're gone. Uh, that's the way you remain a witness in the world when your voice is, is gone because 
physically speaking, your life has come to an end. And so I think that when we uh, consider heaven's household, where's heaven's household begin? In your very household, your house. Um, I think that raising kids is evangelism. Raising kids is discipleship. And it starts right there. And a lot of people get it wrong. They get it backwards. They think, okay, well, you know, I'll outsource my kids to church. I'll send them to church. I'll let other people do it. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go knock on doors and I'll do some obvious works of service, right? Obvious things. But they're missing the most important act of service, which is service at home. Your home is a mission field. And I know that my kids are going to be an extension of God's kingdom program in the world because they, I'm already seeing it. Okay, I, I didn't tell my kids, I didn't give them an order to go up there and I want you to talk to that person about Jesus, ask them if they know him. They already do that. It's a natural outflow of the love that we have. God loved us. We love him because he first loved us. We love our kids because we're all about God's blessings and the greatest blessing of all is family, lives, knit together in this thing called the church. And whenever my kids got saved, that's the greatest blessing I could ever consider. I I could ever think of or imagine or ask for, because now I know that my babies are in my forever family. Like I know they're going to be with me for all eternity. And that should be our priority. And we think, oh, well, it's got to be obvious. Okay. Like the way we invest in that, we get our kids in the forever families. We've got to make sure they're in church. Yes. They need to go to church. Absolutely. Uh, we got to make sure they go to Sunday school. That's, that's a good thing too. But often it's these external things rather than the internal body talking, having fun. Like we're not supposed to be Puritans. I mean, not saying that the Puritans were across the board bad. They didn't have any contributions. I'm not saying that at all. I've read some Puritan writers and I think they have a lot of good things to say. But here's the thing. The the image that they had is very straight laced. Okay. And I've heard some people say, well, that's not quite accurate. Whatever. I'm just using that image right now. But a lot of times in the minds of Christians, what we are supposed to do is come together, sing some songs, look at the Bible and pretend that we're really reading it and into it. And then that we've done our time and that. And so it's all external things, just like your job. People like I go to my job, I do the work. I come home. Don't talk to me about my job. That's how a lot of people are with their job. Don't talk to me about my job. Okay. Now your job may be like that. Okay. I may not blame you for that. Okay. But when it comes to our Christian job, should we check out? Should we clock out in the We shouldn't. And so, I think some people are thinking that establishing this relationship with your family is about the most obvious things, going to church, reading your Bible and prayer time. I think that's all important. We need to do that. But I think it can also be just sitting down and having dinner and talking with one another, laughing, enjoying each other's company. Like we have a great time on like Friday nights at our Bible studies. We laugh, we cut up. I mean, am I quoting Bible verses every three seconds? No, I'm I'm not. I'm not. But we, uh, we have fun, you know, we want, we have movie, we have movie nights. Um, you know, the kids, they have a blast. Yes. The the Christian movies maybe aren't the best made, but we have fun (laughs) and, uh, we eat dessert and, and we help each other with our cars. You know, Scott helped me one time and, uh, I, I just sit there and hold a light for him because he knows a lot more than I do. But, you know, um, that's how the Christian walk is meant to be. Um, and that's where I'll, I'll wrap it up with uh, our labor. Uh, 
should be a community effort. It's a community effort as we struggle together against the enemy. Um, and it's not just, oh, I'll pray for you. Yes, pray. Like that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a small thing. Uh, a lot of times when people say, I'll pray for you, they don't actually do it. Okay, so that, if you actually do it, that is a, a wonderful blessing. But uh, I think that as best we can, we need to bear one another's burdens. This morning, uh, before we got here, I don't even know this guy. Uh, I, I don't know him very well, that is. But our neighbor, his name's Josh, and he came up to me while I was getting the car loaded. And uh, man, I had stuff to do. Me and Katie were busy this morning getting stuff ready for the party. And uh, he said, hey, man, can you give me a give me a ride somewhere? And I'm like, where? Where do you got to go? He's like, I'm having car trouble. And um, he says, I just need you to drop me off at 282. Um, it, it won't be very long and you don't have to bring me back. Right. I'll have somebody else bring me home. And I was like, you know what? I, I in that situation, I had a lot that I was doing. I could have used that as an excuse. And a lot of people, maybe even himself wouldn't have faulted me for it. But I thought, you know what? It's Sunday. I mean, it's Sunday. This, this day is about the Lord and he obviously needs some help or he wouldn't ask me because he doesn't, you know, come up and ask me for stuff all the time. And so I was like, yeah, man, come on. And so we hopped in the car. I took him where he needed to go. And, uh, he said, man, let me give you some gas money. And I was like, no, I don't need your gas money. And I said, it's just Christian charity, man. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful day and I hope your, your car situation gets sorted out. That's the kind of life that we ought to be living. And I wish that, you know, and I pray that God will give me more opportunities to do stuff like that, because that is how you really make an impact on people. Okay. Knocking on doors is important. God uses that too. Okay. God has those divine appointments, but just having relationships with people, loving people, serving people, having fun with people. We need a blunt, <laughs> That's the sort of thing that we need to do. Um, and that'll help us see what it's all about and, and not get so anxious because after all God's in control. And if we're honoring him in our life, I have no doubt he's going to bless us. And so with that, uh, God bless you. And we're going to celebrate Jed's birthday party. Happy